Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your presence we can have fellowship with one another. And our fellowship is more than just gathering around, but our fellowship is in your spirit. Thank you for this time together. We pray, Lord God, as we open up your word, uh, as the song says, word of God, speak in this moment, Lord. Let us hear, let us see, equip us through your word today. Enable me to speak the words that you would have me to speak, the words that would be anointed, words of life. Lord Jesus, I pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, as I said, uh, last Sunday is, or actually week before last, as I was preparing uh, for the, the message, uh, it occurred to me that the material that I had put together or was going to, was in the process of putting together uh, was not going to be able to be covered on, in one Sunday without you getting really, really mad at me <laughs> or without me ending the sermon with three of you sitting here. Uh, because it's such a it's such a rich topic when you talk about everything we need for life and godliness. And so this is obviously I, it took me a long time to come up with the title for today, but it's everything we need for life and godliness, part two. Took a lot of editing in the PowerPoint, and things that. But anyway, I'm just simple that way. And the fact is uh, that we need. And God provides. Just a short review, last week we talked about uh, that His divine power has granted us everything. Now let's say everything. His, His divine power has granted us everything we need to continue moving forward in our Christian walk. And we talked about the fact that the word pertain or pertaining meant forward or moving forward. And we talked about that through the vehicle of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have received the great and precious promises that supply our need. And that comes again through relationship. Knowledge is good. Information is good. It's it's all good. But if it doesn't convert into a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we just become spiritual eggheads. We can, there's a lot of people that can quote platitudes. A lot of people can quote a lot of scripture. But if Jesus walked up to them face to face, they'd never know who he was because they don't have a relationship with him. A lot of Christians. We also observe that because of his generosity, that we are now partakers of the divine nature that allowed us to escape the corruption of the sinful nature. Sinful nature, divine nature. Righteousness, corruption. Corruption in that verse, the word there means not just something that's bad, but something that's ruined, something that is decayed or decaying. You and I, Sometimes I think we take it too much for granted. You and I escaped through the great and precious promises and were able to partake of the divine nature, having escaped the decaying 
nature of the sinful nature. And as a matter of fact, in the Greek world, they would have used that word to describe rotten vegetables. That was our life. That was our, you heard me say, sometimes we think that when we came to God, we, we did him a favor. Isn't he happy to have us? And truth is, we just brought him a bag full of rotten vegetables. And if it's a paper bag, it's about to tear on the bottom. And yet, listen, yet God took it. God never said to us, don't bring me your junk. That stinks. He never said that. He said, just bring me. Bring, you know, the old Baptist song we used to sing. Well, I guess it's a Baptist song. The song we used to sing in the Baptist church, just as I am, without one plea. But that's your blood was shed for me. So I come. I come, and you come with nothing else. You bring all of your garbage and all of your rottenness and all of your decaying, and you bring it to God, and he gives you his divine nature. Is that a deal? So today I want to read the passage again. We're not going to cover all the verses, but I want to read all 15 verses of, of the first chapter of Second Peter. And uh, I would like for if you could and would to stand while we read the sacred scriptures. I'm again reading from the English Standard Version. <clears throat> and it says, Simeon, or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life, Everybody say all things. And godliness through the knowledge or the relationship with him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more... By the way, that word brothers is non-gender specific. It's men and women. Uh, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore... I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things you may be seated such a such a pastoral 
apostolic letter that he's writing to these Christians. And, of course, we've already reviewed basically the first five verses that, that communicate again that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. In a little bit of an overlap from last week, if you were here, I'll wake you up when I'm done. But anyway, he says, to make every effort for this very reason, because of all that God has done for you, because of all that God has provided for you to have a successful and a victorious Christian walk, because of that, make every effort. And we talked last week about there is there is parts that, that we have a part. He uses the word supplement or supply, and he begins to talk about some qualities. We, used, we quoted the verse last Sunday that God is working in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. So there's, it's obvious that he's working in us, and the result of that work is that we will do something. We will respond. There's something for you to do. We're not just sitting in a chair waiting for a cloud to envelop us and change us and get us to doing things. God is working in you both to want to and to work. To want to and to work. Spurgeon rightly said, God sends every bird his food. That's God's part. But he doesn't throw it into the nest. That's our part. We have a part. D. Edmund Hebert or Hybert wisely reminds us that human effort must follow the work of God. But the part of participial construction indicates that such human effort is subordinate to divine bestowal and flows out of it. In other words, if God's not involved, your efforts don't mean a thing. If God's not equipping you and empowering you, anything you do is useless. But the, the flip of that is that if God is involved, then you and I have things to do, works that we need to do, efforts we need to give following the hand of God. The Precept Austin website points out that this, this word supply or supplement is is a, a, the word that would have been used in that culture of someone who would have financed a chorus or a play. Or even, there's even the, the word actually is epichoriago, which is where we get our word choreograph. And so there would be people who would provide the funding for whatever they were doing, this chorus. And Peter is using that word and he's saying to us, provide what is needed. And in the Precept Austin website says, even as this picturesque verb meant to richly supply everything an ancient chorus needed so that it might be a grand production. So believers, everybody say, that's me. Some of you need to say it a little better than that. That's me. Okay. So believers are to richly supply everything needed so that our life might be a grand production. That brings glory, great glory to the Father. And that's what Peter's instructing us. You say, is this works-based righteousness? There's no such thing. There's no such thing as gaining righteousness through your works. But there is such a thing as being obedient to the Father. There is such a thing as participating in the work of the Father. 
Because God will not violate you. God will not force you. And he will not make you act in a certain way. He has given you a choice. Mm. What Peter is commanding to us in this passage is that spiritual growth demands that we make a choice. And that such growth will not come automatically or inevitably. We cannot just say, okay, God, do your deal. And God says to us, okay, I'm going to do my deal, but you're going to have to be a part of the deal. No, I don't want to do anything. I just want to, I want to have my way. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go, it doesn't work that way. This is how it works. And so then Peter says, because of that, make every effort to supplement your faith. We talked about last Sunday that God has given every one of us a measure of faith. Faith is not something that you work up. Faith is not something uh, that you try to conjure up in your mind. It's not mind over matter. Faith is a deposit that God has made into your life. You have faith today because God gave it to you. That's why Jesus could say, have faith in God, which many scholars believe is better translated, have the faith of God. Have the faith that comes from God. And so he says to you have faith because you have that measure, so add that. You and I are, I'll remind us that you and I are the salt and the light, or supposed to be the salt and the light in our world, in our community, in our society. We have a mission, and that is to make the, the society palatable and preserve our society. It's our mission to shine the light, to not put our light under a bushel, but let it shine from a hill. We need to remember that as God's people because we get too caught up in earthly and, and carnal solutions to the problems that we have today. Uh, we think that, we think that uh, the Republican Party or the Democrat Party is going to be the solution to our ills. We think that conservative or liberal is going to be the solution to our ills. We think that a, that we think that a vaccine or not taking a vaccine is going to solve all the problems of our world. I want to tell you something. All of that's going to rot. All of, as a matter of fact, our forefathers, our founding fathers said, please don't have political parties. It'll mess our country up. Duh. But what will? And that's you and that's me being salt and light where we live. I have opinions about all of that. And if you want to hear it, yon yon. But I do have this opinion. We need more God's people remembering that Jesus assigned us the mission to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. What is necessary for us is that faith would be supplemented by what he identifies as seven elements of holiness. Not adding these one after another. Not We're not talking about building blocks. As we get into it, you'll see what I mean if you haven't already read it. Not building blocks, but manifesting all the graces all the time. But he, he identifies these seven elements, and obviously they're not the only seven, but they're the seven that Peter writes in the first chapter 
under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit as he is inspired. And he says, add to your faith. Well, faith, faith is an active obedience to God. It's not just a mental assent or affirmation that there is a God. But it's an active obedience. Faith does not stand around with its hands in its pockets. Faith moves. Remember the guy that was sick and his friends couldn't get, get him to Jesus. They tore the roof off of somebody, Peter's house or somebody's house, I forgot. They tore the roof off and lowered him down. And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus saw their faith. It wasn't the guy that was on the bed. He, he, he wasn't even talking about his faith. He was talking about the, his friend's faith. But what did they do? They did something. Oh, y'all are quiet. Jesus, in speaking to Nicodemus, said, whoever believes, everybody say believes. In the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes, everybody say that again, believes. So that's faith. Whoever believes, this is John 3, 36 for you note takers, has eternal life. And then he said this, whoever does not, and you'd think he would say believe. Whoever does not obey, the Son shall not see life. Whoever believes, whoever does not obey. What is he telling us? He's telling us that if you believe God, you will obey God. And if you don't obey God, it's because you don't believe him. Do you believe him? Well, then you better get to obeying him. Faith is an active obedience to God. It's not just, I've got faith. Well, lower your friend down through the roof and show me something. Then he says, add to your faith virtue. You could use the word there, goodness. Virtue or goodness, which is triumph over evil. Do we have evil in our world today? Where y'all been living? Come on, people. I, 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 got, I used to have some five-hour energy drinks in my office. I should break them back out. My goodness. Triumph over evil. And I'm not just talking about the devil. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about church people. Church people. Is there a difference between church people and followers of Jesus Christ? If you don't believe that, you never dealt with church people. Triumph. Add to your, in other words, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? You ever heard the saying, I know you have because I've said it, if you, if you aim at nothing, you will definitely hit it every time. And Jesus says to us, I, Peter's writing, I want to identify these qualities that you should be aiming at. Now, we can't, as, as some of the guys said, you, you can't accomplish this without the work of the Holy Spirit, without the help of God. But, my goodness, start moving. Make an effort. We got a part. God's got a part. You got to do something. God's working in you to work of his goodwill. Triumph over evil. And then he says, add to your, 
add to goodness knowledge, which you've already heard me say that that's relationship. It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing God. I hope we understand there's a difference. You can know everything about God. There are people on the radio and podcasts and places today that are quoting Bible verses about God till they're blue in the face. And they don't, they, they know all about him, but they don't know him. Worse yet, as the group of people that came to Jesus, worse yet, is that Jesus doesn't know them. He says, sorry, I, I, we did all these great things, Master. We did all these miracles and we prophesied. Woo, we, aren't we great? And Jesus said, well, I, I hate to mention it, but I don't even know who you are. You don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear, sorry, I never knew you. We used to sing that song in the Baptist church. And it was the most haunting, scaring song you ever heard in your life. I mean, the rededicators got wore out. <laughs> run to the, run, you know, we didn't have altars because they thought that was Pentecostal, but we'd run to the preacher and rededicate our lives because, sorry, I never knew you. You don't want to hear that. Relationship or inquiring or investigating God. These are the qualities that we need to be salt and light. He said, and when you, you can add to that self-control. Self-control is the, is the controlling of our will. You have a choice. You're the only one that can rule your own spirit. You know, you can say, God help me. And God said, I'll help you, all right. Here's how I'll help you. I'll give you opportunity to rule your spirit. But you got to do it. I heard Derek Prince say one time that, God will not humble you, but he will humiliate you and make you want to humble yourself. Because the Bible says humble yourself. Because that's just a, an assuming of a position to make a choice. Self-control is a choice. And I, I understand when we were first married, uh, I broke a lot of things. My wife can attest because I'd had no self-control and my fuse was short and if something, you know anyway I would break things let's just say it that way <laughs> because I because I didn't I didn't exercise this self-control controlling my own will having our lives under enough discipline to follow the Lord you want to know one of the ways you get your, your life into self-control? And, and, uh, and that is to submit yourself to God in meekness. You say, well, meekness, that sounds a lot like weakness. No, it may sound a lot like it, but it's nothing. You, you couldn't get further away from weakness when you talk about meekness because the word in the text for meekness is a word that describes taking a wild. How many of y'all watch Heartland? Y'all missing some good TV. My goodness. It's a family in, in Canada that handles horses. It's just taking a wild, rambunctious horse and taming it. And when they tame the horse, 
They have not made that horse weak. It's still just as strong and wild as it was, but it's un- that that uh, strength is under the discipline of its of its uh, owner or trainer. And when you and I come to God, He doesn't want us to to lose what He's put in us as far as strength. But he wants to, for us to submit that to him, and, this, and we call it strength under discipline. That's meekness. That's self-control. The other part about that is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. You're not going to get self-control if you don't allow God to work in your life. But you've got to choose. He says, okay, we, we want to add to that perseverance. Perseverance just means to abide under. It's living by commitment and a command rather than living by convenience and circumstances and feelings. We, we are often governed and moved by how we feel. We're often governed by what's Convenient. I told you several times we're, our our church in Louisiana was uh, near the end. Anyway, the last several years was named Homa Covenant Church. Some of you might have saw recently where the hurricane went through Homa, Louisiana, and that's where Adam was born, and our son Nate was born in Homa, and went throughout through the hospital where they were born. Our church was Homa Covenant Church, and a young man who in later years pastored a church in that same, in a building in that town. Young man, he wrote a tithe check and handed it to me one day, and I didn't pay attention to it. And then when I got ready to hand it to our treasurer, I looked at it and it said, Home a Convenient Church. I said, I said, Dwayne, I said, you hadn't been here long enough, evidently. There's nothing convenient about what we're doing around here. Convenience. We're, we're governed by our circumstances. We're governed by how we feel. But for perseverance is to place ourselves under God and to abide. Abide. Abide through what? Everything. Abide through the difficulties. Abide through the bad, the bad news. Abide through whatever, whatever God has us involved in. Bible talks about, I don't want to get too deep into this, but the Bible talks about that Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, who gave us the majority of the New Testament, Paul left one of his companions when he went on his missionary trip, one of his missionary, he left his companion behind. Watch this. Because he was sick. You, the Apostle Paul? He left a guy behind because he was sick. Why didn't he just heal him? Oh, he was sick. I don't want to get I don't want to get too far down this road, but if you think you got God figured out, you are greatly mistaken. If you think you got this thing, we had somebody that came to this church several years ago, several years ago, and uh, they were of the of the opinion that if you have, if you're sick, you must have sin in your life. Everybody who's a Christian should be healed all the time. They should never be sick. Well, in a polite, kind, thinking of them kind of a way, I told them about another church. (laughs) 
that that thinking would fit in with better than here. And they went and wrote me an email and said, thank you. for helping us find where we really belonged. I'm, I hate you. That's not the first time I've sent people to other churches. Sometimes because I wanted to get rid of them. Sometimes, all the time, anybody walks in those doors, I want them to find home. I'm not, I'm not recruiting. I'm not going to recruit. I rarely invite people to this church. Because I won't, I mean, I'll tell them where we are and what time we meet, but I'm not doing any sales pitches. Because if God wants people here, and I'm hoping that you're that way, if God wants people here, he will speak to them that this is home. They don't need a, they don't need a slick sales pitch from me or you. Okay, enough of that. How did I get on that? <laughs> Living by commitment. And then he said, Add to that godliness. Well, okay, we'll just skip that one. Godliness. <laughs> I already told you I broke things back way back when. Of course, this October, in what, what, two weeks? We'll celebrate 48 years of marriage. So it's been a long time since I was breaking things like that. At least last week. I don't. I, godliness. It's godly character. I, I said... Doug and Adam and I just got back from the reignited men's event. And and uh, when they asked me to have my 15 minutes of fame, I said um, that my dad, even though he was not a follower of Jesus, was not born again until I was 16 years old, he was in many ways a godly man in that he, he uh, lived with a godly character. Now, where he got it from, I don't know, but... But I was there the day he was saved in 1971. Godliness, a godly character. It's, it's a God-focused attitude that manifests reverence by its actions. Godliness is God-likeness. So, well, I can't be like God. Well, just aim. Again, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it. But if you aim at something, aim at something. I mean, you're going to... The Bible says all have sinned. And I hate to break this to you. That includes you. That includes you. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Bible says when we sin, if we will confess our sins, which means that we do sin, then he will forgive us of our sins. Doesn't mean you have to sin. There's no requirement for you to sin a little bit every day just to be normal. And then he says, add to that brotherly kindness. And we, we know the word Philadelphia. Now, I've heard, I've never been there, but I've heard that Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, there's a Philadelphia, Mississippi, by the way, and I don't know how many other Philadelphias in the world, but Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, of course, people refer to it as the city of brotherly love. And I've heard from people who've been there that say, not so much. <laughs> not so much. But that's actually the Greek word in the Greek text for brotherly love is Philadelphia. And it's a, it, it's a, when we have a tender affection or a fondness for our brothers and sisters, it's when we care for one another 
And, of course, he finishes up by uh, add to that love or agape. Now, agape, we've said, you've heard me say hundreds and hundreds of times, that agape has nothing to do with feelings. Agape is unconditional love that's made by a commitment or a choice. And it has nothing to do. Agape will lead us to a place of feeling something. Brotherly love is, is feeling something for somebody. And it's just as biblical as agape. And he's saying you add, you add uh, to this brotherly affection and brotherly kindness for brothers and sisters, add to that agape, which is where we say to one another, regardless of what you do, regardless of where you go, regardless of what you say, I'm, I'm right here. It's covenant. It's covenant someone recently referred to the fact that, and I've said this for years, but that the scripture that we quote in weddings, often quote in weddings, that says, whatever God has joined together, let no man put asunder, let no man divide. While it is absolutely applicable in weddings, it's also applicable to any covenant relationship. If God has put you with someone covenantally, brother, sister, in the Lord, whatever, I'm going to get behind this so you don't throw things at me. You don't have a right to break that up. You don't have a right. You don't have a right. I don't have a right. Now, I've had people walk away from me uh, down through the years. You have too. You can't do anything about that. You can't do anything about it. But agape is better than gorilla glue. If you've used Gorilla Glue, man, you touch that stuff, you'd forget touching anything. It is. It's better. It's better and stronger. Why? Because it's God's love. God made it. We didn't come up with it. God made it. And when you when you walk that way with people, when you walk that way with brothers and sisters in Christ, you're walking the way God walks with us. I hope we understand that God's love to you is unconditional. I hear people all the time, well, man, I can't believe if so-and-so was a Christian and they did this, and I believe God had to disown them. One of the brothers in our men's event shared on adoption. He, he knows a little bit about it. He's adopted 10 children. Adam, Doug, five of them were from... Poland and where's the other Russia? Yeah. And and somebody asked him, said, how many children do you have? He said, I got 10. He said, well, how many of them are, are yours? He said, 10. <laughs> and, I, and I shared with him afterwards, and of course, he, he preached all over this, and he, you know, it's not, but I said, uh, Clint's his name. I said, Clint, I said, you probably know this already, but in the Roman Greco culture, you have a son that's born to you biologically and is a part of your family, you cannot, everybody say cannot. It's against the law. Disinher I mean, you can, I'll take it back. You can disinherit that son. You can disinherit them. You can cut them out of your will. You can eliminate, you can change them. You can do whatever you want to do. But when you have adopted someone or son into your into your family, son or daughter, 
in that culture, once they're adopted, it's illegal to disinherit them. You couldn't if you wanted to. They won't let you. I hope y'all get that. You, do y'all get that? You've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. And nobody can unadopt you. Nobody can disinherit you. God does not want to disinherit you. Because somebody sitting here today is thinking, well, hey, I can't believe God really put up with me. Well, I can't believe he put up with you either. But I also don't believe he, how he put up with me. But he does. How does he put up with us? Because he's a God of love. And I don't mean touchy-feely. I mean, he's committed to us. And then he said, makes this statement. If you have these things in increasing in measure, increasing, everybody say increasing. increasing. The Christian life was never intended to be static. It was never intended to be lived in a vacuum. But always moving forward, always one step incremental. We are being changed into his image from glory to glory. One step, another step. God does not expect us to have arrived now. As a matter of fact, the term that Peter uses in this passage for increasing It's not having reached full fruition. It's not having completed itself, but it's exceeding where you are now. You know, the older I get, the less I care about what I say. (laughs) And I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but I want you to take it. Turn my timer off. You're in trouble now. (laughs) I don't have a lot of patience with people who 20 years later are still dealing with the same things they dealt with 20 years ago. Oh, y'all pray for me. God will help me. I'll pray God kick you in the... (laughs) I, I don't have a lot of patience with people who just constantly revisit the same problems over and over and over again. Get over it. We're supposed to be moving forward. If it's just an inch, let's move forward. And quit going. I mean, you say, well, I still got this problem. Well, then you got a real problem because you know what the problem is? You. Move forward. He says, if you do this, if you'll have these qualities, he's he's identifying specifically these seven qualities, if you'll have them in increasing measure, not just have them, but our life is constantly increasing in these qualities, he said, it will keep you from being ineffective or unproductive or unfruitful in your Christian life. It'll keep you from being ineffective in your relationship with the Lord. And he said it'll also keep you from having 
uh, nearsighted, your spiritual blindness. Because sometimes, saints, we lose sight of the fact that God has forgiven and cleansed us from our sin. Oh, we state that theologically. We know the verse. But sometimes we don't really believe that God has forgiven us of our sins. And the reason, the reason I know that because we don't act like it. And we, he said, if you, if you will make every effort to allow these qualities to be worked into your life, you will get over your nearsightedness and your spiritual blindness, and you will remember that you've been forgiven and cleansed. And then he says, confirm your calling and your election. Now, whether, whether or not you, are, you embrace a full tulip Calvinistic message that says God ordained before the beginning of time some who would be damned and some who would go to heaven, See, the pastor just cursed. My goodness, I can't believe he did that. Whether you whether you embrace the fact that that uh, some people are in in uh, oh Lord, I had a great grandfather. <laughs> are y'all hungry? <laughs> they wanted me to share at this men's thing on the legacy of family. And they wanted me to do it in 15 minutes. I can't even do an introduction in 15 minutes. But I did. But I, I shared in 1890. <laughs> so let me tell you about myself. In 1890, and of course, they all broke up. But my great-grandfather left Conway, South Carolina, with his young son. I think he was seven. His name was Fernie. Can you imagine a guy named Fernie Granger? My great-grandfather left. In the middle of the night, he brought his son. He didn't bring his wife. Left her in Conway, South Carolina. Moved to northwest Florida, somewhere around Holmes County. Ultimately, I don't know how all this worked out, ultimately remarried and my grandfather was born in 1895 after they had moved there and he had remarried. And, of course, my dad was born in 1927. Somewhere in the genealogies, it lists my great-grandfather as a Baptist preacher. Going, mm-hmm. And, and my cousin, who's our family historian, tells me, that it, there's a lot of suspicions about why he left in the middle of the night and took his son and hightailed it to Florida. We don't know. We probably don't want to know. Now, how did I get down that rabbit trail? Well, he was a primitive Baptist preacher. Primitive Baptists believe in so much in predestination that they do not believe in evangelism. They believe either you're going or you're not going. And anything I say to you will have nothing to do with it. Some of us older folks have heard the term hard shell Baptist because they really do have a hard shell. Okay, that won't cost you any extra. Whether you embrace that or you embrace any version of predestination, let me just tell you something. You have been elected by God. 
sweet. Pastor, I went and become John Calvin, Martin Luther. No, I just become somebody who reads the Bible. He said, confirm your calling and your election. Sure. You may be, and this is closer to me, I guess, but you may be like Charles Finney who said, Lord, call in, bring in all the elect, and then elect some more. Whatever your theology is, I can tell you this, you were called and you were elected by God. The circumstances, how I, that, I'm not even concerned with that. God's grace should not be taken for granted. We should not live in such a way. You've heard people say it. I've heard people say God's grace covers everything. So you, do, you can live like the devil if you want to. It doesn't matter. Live any way you want to because God's grace will forgive you. I'm not, I'm going to leave that alone because I've chased enough rabbits already. But what he's saying to us, Peter's saying to us is to testify to the calling and the election with an attention to these qualities. Let's testify that we love God and we appreciate the grace of God by giving our attention to these seven qualities of holiness that Peter has identified under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, by the way. He said, if you do that, you'll never fall. And you'll get into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Finally, he said, he said oh, I'm going to remind you of these qualities. Remember Peter, Jesus had told Peter how he was going to die. And that's how he died. But he said, I'm going to remind you of these qualities because I'm, I'm not long for this world. Now, I pray that as I read that verse today, I wasn't reading it in the first person. That was supposed to be funny. Are y'all trying to get rid of me? <laughs> no, he said that you will, even though you know them are, and are established in the truth, I need to stir you up and refresh your memory. And that after I'm gone, that you would be able to recall these things. Now, the conference retreat we just came from, the theme was Legacy of Kingdom Man. Ronald Gray chose the theme. And the question is for us this morning, what legacy are you leaving? What, what legacy is going, are you going to leave behind whenever you're gone? He said, well, I'm going to live forever. Okay, you go right ahead and do that. But for the rest of us, what are you going to leave behind? What, 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 are, what are people going to need to recall that you have been put into their lives once you're gone, or once you just left the room or left the state, you don't have to. You don't have to die. But what what's, what are you investing into people's lives that is eternal? That's the point, and that's what Peter's saying. I want you to be able to remember these qualities, and I want you to be able to refresh your memory. And even when I'm not here in your ear or writing you a letter, I want you to be able to recall. These seven qualities that will cause you to testify to God's calling and election on your life and cause you to be the salt and the light in society. I don't want you to answer that question to me. You just need to answer it to God. You need to answer it to yourself. What do you want? What are you leaving behind? What are, what are, what are they going to say about you? What are they going to say they received from you when you're gone in whatever form that takes. Oh, y'all are so quiet today. 
Everything we need for life and godliness. Stand with me. Everything we need to live this Christian life, everything we need to be victorious and successful, everything we need to increase every day in these qualities, everything we need to keep moving forward. Remember, we say it's about direction and not perfection. Everything we need has been granted to us by God Almighty. We don't need anything else. We just need to walk out what he's given us.